Thank you, Vaughn, for bringing us headlines. Lagos, I am Sandra Ezekwesili, and you're listening to Hard Facts on 99.3 Nigeria Info. And uh, I'm wondering this evening, can Liberia's opposition coalition beat George Weah? Can Liberia's opposition coalition beat George Weah? Hmm. Uh, today we're stepping away from Nigeria for a bit to discuss um, politics in a neighboring country. And here's today's uh, uh, big hard fact. Now, of course, this uh, neighboring country has a deep shared history. And today's big hard fact, Lagos, is that since the end of the Civil War, Liberia has elected three presidents in four elections. Charles Taylor in 1997. Ellen Johnson Sirleaf in 2005 and 2011 and George Weah in 2017. Now, under the Constitution, presidents can serve two terms max of six years each. So this year, Weah's uh, first term comes to an end and there's a growing coalition of opposition parties hoping to defeat him at the polls in October. Our guest today is the leader of one of those parties, the Movement for One Liberia. Magdela Cooper, welcome to Hard Facts. Good to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Sandra. It's good to be here with you. Mm-hmm. Now, Magdela was supposed to be in the studio with me, but we understand that she's currently in Bayelsa at the moment, and so she's joining us virtually. Lagos, you can watch the interview live. Facebook, Nigeria Info 99.3, YouTube, Nigeria Info FM. If you've got questions about the upcoming elections in Liberia, go ahead and give us a call on 0700-993-993-993. Your party, Magdela, the Movement for One Liberia, it is relatively new, but it has made a lot right. of waves. What's the ideology be, uh, behind your party? Who are you trying to give a voice to? Well, I was uh, I participated in uh, the f- previous uh, presidential election in 2016, 2017, yes. to be exact. And after my experience with participating in an election, trying to win and or focus and win an election, a lot of the, well, the party I was on was just, you know, there was a lot of uh, politicking within the party. And so I, I sort of studied the terrain and realized that political parties were boys club made by the boys, created by the boys for the boys, and, and they served the boys. Mm-hmm. And so women were not necessarily welcome to the boys club. And so I built a girls club. <laughs> and of course, as a, as a mother, right. a sister... And a wife, and um, and I, I decided, well, well, we'll build a girls' club, but also let the boys in too, and mm. show them how to play the game right. Mm. Now, uh, I want to come back to that. Um, your initial declaration of your intention to to well, your initial run uh, a few years ago, but you also initially declared your intention to run for president this year. Uh, but now in May, right. you and your party endorsed um, Joseph uh, Boakai. What made you change your mind? Why are you back in the former vice president? Well, look, there are several reasons, and I will keep it short. The former vice president is someone who I see, and based on data and national opinion polls, that will get us the win that we need. Um, And so it makes sense, uh, since we have a similar agenda for the country, which is to rescue Liberia from the hands of George Weah and his failed administration, his incompetent administration, it was important to join forces to build a stronger team to defeat where um, in 2023's election. 
And so it was no question in my mind that it was necessary uh, to join forces with several other opposition parties to put our, our way behind the former vice president, who is the choice of the Liberian people at this moment. He is the only one that's, that's actually relevant in this election. And so I'm happy I made a right choice once again, as I always do. And we are working now to, to make him the next president of Liberia, to free Liberia from this horrible situation we're in. Hmm. And I want to talk about this movement for one Liberia. It's often criticized the way administration of being controlled by a ruling elite who are not interested in providing um, inclusive service to all Liberians. You've endorsed uh, Borkai. Borkai was vice president to Ellen uh, Johnson Sirleaf. The Sirleaf administration was also right. accused of being um, elite centric. Why do you believe Borkai will be different from his predecessors? Well, the first thing, Bokai was the number two wingman to Ellen. He was you know, her number two. He was not the one in charge of her administration. He was there to support her and follow her agenda. And, and, and she created the agenda. It wasn't his agenda. Of course, uh, they worked together and he was the president of the Senate because that's what our constitution, that's the position he gets as the vice president of the country. And so Bokai was sort of limited in a way as to what agenda he could push. It was Madame Sirleaf who was the lead on their, on their administration. And so she called most of the shots. And he was, you know, vice presidential post is always ceremonial. When a president cannot do something, then the vice president is designated to, to represent on an agenda that's created by the president. And so I would say uh, whatever, whatever accusations or notions that was there, Around the presidency of, or the administration of Madame Sirleaf, I think Bokai had very little to do with it because of his limitation as a vice president. And you don't want to be a vice president that's pushing your own agenda. It could be considered, consider, you know, uh, in some way, shape and form, if misinterpreted, it could be treason, right? Because you're trying to take over from your boss. And so Bokai has a track record, 40 years track record of being Liberia's body politics, being leadership, being in in uh, government and he has a clean hand and after watching george where clans of so-called elite the nouveau riche as we call them that had absolutely no experience no background had no understanding of what government meant they all came into power and overnight they built mansions and, and big houses without having an experience on how to run a country how to build an economy what, uh, you know, have an agenda for the nation, what we're going to do. They came in with this pro-poor agenda that we're going to rescue the poor. And the poor in Liberia society are more poor on the way as pro-poor agenda than they ever were in Liberia history. We just celebrated 176 years of independence. Liberia remains the single, uh, the oldest democracy on the continent, not just in the region, but the continent. When other countries were trying to find liberation or fight for liberation, Liberia was trailblazing. You have, you know, Queen Elizabeth and all those uh, folks coming to visit Liberia. And today, we are regressing massively under the leadership of George Weah. They came in, George Weah came in as a footballer, an excellent world best footballer, Africa's best. The man is fantastic at football. He is the best. But when it comes to governance and leadership, George Weah has absolutely no idea how to run a country or even what it means to hire the right people to advise him or what it means to even establish 
uh, the proper cabinet to run a government. And we can't have another six years of that. Okay, um, I hear you. And what you've just said is something we've often heard um, people who are in politics or who support politicians in Nigeria say about vice presidents when those vice presidents decide to run for office and they get right. asked, well, um, you were a part of this government that you now think is so bad and we should trust you. We should go with you. We should work with you. And the question I often ask people like that, and I'm going to ask you as well, uh, um, if uh, Boakai did not agree with Sir Liv's policies, should he have resigned? No, not at all. Because uh, I will say compared to where we are now, the Sir, the Sir Liv's government seems like a, like a light on a hill. And we, we wish we could return to those days. So irrespective of the criticism that is placed on Sir Liv's government, um, you know, that was co-ran by, by Boakai, that government was much better than anything we're seeing today. And the librarian people are even crying to go back to the days of Ellen Johnson and Sirleaf. And since she has already completed her constitutional term limits, or two terms, six years per term, she cannot come back. So the next thing in line is Joseph Bokai. But I will say this to your question. Again, Joseph Bokai was a supporter of the administration. Uh, we were not in a terrible situation. Of course, the opposition then, which was the CDC, the way alleged uh, political party, mm -hmm. was the then opposition. And so, of course, they criticized Madame Sully's government. They criticized her massively. They even went as far as disrespecting her in a way of, you know, showing her underwear on the streets of Liberia, mm -hmm. carrying a casket, a casket saying that she was the dead one in the casket. They couldn't wait to see her die. Mm -hmm. They were utterly disrespectful. Hmm. And so we are not here to listen to their criticism because Madame Sirleaf ran a too successful term which George Weah will wish he would, he would even complete a first term successfully hmm. uh, with, with even any credibility. You know, monies are missing out of Liberia's economy. Gone. Containers filled with newly printed bills. Gone. Auditors in Liberia murdered in cold blood. The roads are not built. They came to campaign on this, I will build the roads across Liberia, uh, you know, uh, plan. Never happened. We don't. Our government is completely destroyed. Our country, there are no jobs. We've lost more jobs than any other time in our history under the way of administration. And so, Joseph Buckeye being a former vice president, within... Magdala? All right, well, we seem to have lost uh, connection with Magdela Cooper. If you just joined the show, Magdela Cooper is a politician from Liberia and um, uh, her and her party have um, created a movement for one Liberia. It's relatively new, but they're making a lot of uh, of, of waves. Um, so they are a growing uh, coalition of opposition parties hoping to defeat uh, Joseph, uh, sorry, George Weir um, at the polls. George Weir became president in 2017. And uh, today we're talking about that process and hopefully we regain connection with our guest and we can keep having this conversation. Lagos, join us on 0700-993-993-993-01465-7190. Magdala, um, you were talking a bit about some of the issues on the minds of Liberians as they prepare to go to the polls in October. Give us a, a, a big picture. What are the big issues on the minds of Liberians as you go to vote? The economy. The economy, jobs, the 
you know, if 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 we can, um, we the librarian people, we have we the first year. Normally, you give a president of uh, the first 100 days to see where they're going to go with their administration, the new newly formed or created administration. Mm-hmm. And we waited for one year. We didn't see any change, any impact. Waited for two years. Midterm elections came. The Wayland-led party, the CDC, Congress for Democratic Change, mm-hmm. uh, put out 15 candidates within the midterm uh, senatorial race. Mm-hmm. Three out of the 15 won their seats in the Senate. Three out of 15 from the ruling party won their seats. Because by the midterm election, the problems we're facing today was already visible in Liberia. Mm. Most people had lost their job. They came up with an agenda to harmonize the economy by cutting civil servant salaries. And we saw nothing that was done with the funds that were that were gained from cutting by cutting civil servants' cat salaries. Mm-hmm. And so people thought, okay, maybe you had a good intention to cut salaries and a few people lost their jobs. But what was the benefit of that particular project? Mm-hmm. What was the benefit of that particular process? And so when you say what's on the minds of the librarian people as they go to the polls today, mm-hmm. they are thinking the hunger. Liberia came out when the world, the world hungers list came out just a few months ago. Liberia was 113 out of 121 countries listed mm-hmm. with the highest number of people who are hungry. There's no food in Liberia. People don't have jobs. Their medical facilities are not functioning. The education sector, people cannot afford it. And so we don't have a nation that's working for us. So as the people go to the polls, they are thinking about the problems we inherited the first year of where led administration. Up to six years later, we still see the same problem increasing, increasing, increasing. More jobs are leaving the country. Magdala, do we have... Uh Okay, so we seem to have lost our connection with Magdala again. Magdala says um, the economy is the biggest thing on the minds of Liberians as they go to vote in October. Uh, she says uh, a, a huge loss of jobs. Um, she says that uh, Liberians expected that the money saved uh, from cutting the salaries of civil servants would be um, redirected towards improving the lives of Liberians, that they haven't seen that happen. Magdala is back now, Magdala, apologies about that interruption earlier on. Is she back? Okay, we don't have the connection back uh, with her just yet. But yes, Lagos, of course, you can talk about what you're hearing so far. It does sound like you're, you're hearing about Nigeria's problems, doesn't it? <laughs> okay, so we have her back now, Magdala. Apologies about your poor um, internet connection. But yes, you were telling us um, about the, the loss of jobs, the hunger uh, on the minds right. of the people, the, 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 the insane poverty um, as the yes. people go to the polls in October. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And it, the, the sad reality is that you see a handful of people, which you mentioned earlier, the the handful of nu- nouveau riche in Liberia living this excess life, traveling to Paris, and they are taking selfies and putting it on social media. Has li- Liberians are going to bed hungry. Children are dying in hospitals because parents don't have money to, to take care of, to pay for medical bills, to pay the medical bills. And you have these government officials with their, their big houses, their cars, and they're, they're, they're um, violently exhibiting 
and displaying this in front of the country and the, and its people. And, you know, it's, it's, it's sad. It's a sad reality because, I, you know, it's, it's very hard for a citizen of a country um, to come on another country's television show to discuss these issues. These are Liberia's national issues. But the reason why I'm even on here is, be, you know, in, 19, in the 1990s, we had a civil war in Liberia. Mm-hmm. And when the war happened, Nigeria, Ghana, Ivory Coast, Guinea, and all of the bordering countries inherited the citizens of Liberia mm-hmm. because Liberia was not able to take care of Liberians. Now other countries, other countries' economy suffer because we had to flee our country to come to seek refuge in your country. Yeah. And for me, this is a clarion call to leaders across Africa, to, especially with the region. We don't want another outbreak in Liberia. We don't. We, the, 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 the beloved citizens of, the, of Liberia, we are pleading with the international community, with the regional community, to say, look, we have a serious problem here, and these problems need to be addressed quickly. If we continue to put leaders in place when the citizens are crying out loud and saying, we have a problem, no one listens. When the people take the matter into their own hands, these countries' economies suffer. It is time that we start supporting each other across the region to see when the citizens are not happy, we start finding solutions and not supporting the problem. You see, um, you've run for office in Liberia at various levels, right? And as you get ready to go to the polls, as you're getting ready with your um, opposition coalition, I wonder how you would accept, you would assess um, your country's electoral system and its level of transparency. Mm. Can opposition, and you know, that was, a, that was a very interesting sound, can opposition politicians reasonably expect to unseat the incumbent? Oh, absolutely. The people of Liberia, and I told, I told some of this, this fact uh, the other day, um, I remember the 2017 election when, um, you know, when the campaign officially opened by the election commission, uh, we watched people come from distances to walk towards the now President George Weah's uh, political party's ground. It was this excitement. It was this, oh, he's a son of the soil and he understands our struggle. He comes to the ghettos and the slums. He made it to superstardom. And we know the young people are saying this. They said, we know if he becomes president, he will understand our plight and he will rescue us or help us out of the problems that we find ourselves in. So the expectations were high. These young people pour into this camp. And when, when this election was, was won, um, of course, there were other opposition leaders who were concerned about the election commission's ability to um, conduct a fair election. And don't forget, the candidate I support today was the incumbent vice president. Mm-hmm. And, 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 uh, and Weah was still able to defeat him, although he was an incumbent vice president. Mm-hmm. And so I have some faith in the election commission as an agency where my faith is lacking mm-hmm. is in the, uh, the political appointees the president made into the election commission. Because when presidents come in, unlike the INEC in Nigeria and Ghana and other countries, mm-hmm. we have a national election commission and the president holds the responsibility of selecting or appointing the commissioner's head and several others in the commission. Same here. And so the... Oh, I didn't know that has, that's how you guys work, which I think it's, it's, it's really should be the opposite direction. 
Okay, we have lost connection again to Magdala Cooper. Hopefully we rejoin her or she rejoins us and uh, we can keep talking about whether or not she has faith in the in Liberia's um, electoral system and um, its level of transparency. She says that she does. However, she has a problem with um, the appointments that were recently made by Liberia's uh, president, George Weah. She also believes that the uh, uh, incumbent can can be unseated by the um, opposition political parties, opposition political coalitions. Okay. Uh, If she rejoins, we will continue this conversation because I'm very interested um, in a couple of other things. You know, for instance, you know, why she joined politics, what pushed her to join politics, you know. And uh, she also talked, you know, when we started earlier on, she talked about building a girls club. I want to talk about that a bit. You know me, Lagos. Of course, I want to talk about that a little bit. Um, So hopefully she rejoins. I'm getting word that she has rejoined now, Magdala. Yes. So you you were saying to me that... um, while you trust um, the the system, the the electoral system itself, you have a problem with the the people that have been appointed to man the system. Now, does right. that worry translate to I'm not sure we will be able to unseat an incumbent? Because here in Nigeria, our current um, 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 head of the electoral commission is facing allegations of uh, of. Uh, um, uh, some sort of complicity with um, mm. the elections that a number of organizations, external and, interna- and internal, have labeled as um, as very, very flawed, very deeply flawed. Mm. Um, mm. So if if you tr- can you really trust the system if the people who have to push um, 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 buttons within the system, you don't trust? Right. Um, early on in the year... Are you there, Sandra? Yes. Mm-hmm. I think, did I lose you? Or are we there? I'm right here. We're here. We're live. Okay. Okay. So, so early on in the year, we noticed that during the BVR process, the voters registration, um, there was a lot of manipulation within the voters registration. In Liberia. And we knew, we knew right there and then mm-hmm. there was an attempt to rig this election. Because we've never seen a BVR process that went the way this particular one went. Hmm. So we had no faith in the process from the get-go. Okay. Because, again, the folks who were appointed to push the buttons were doing everything in there in their, to please their, their boss. Hmm. Um, so that's where, that's where our, our lack of faith in, in them came. Mm-hmm. Okay. And why do you think that um, if they were manipulating, according to you, the BVR process, that the elections, you know, will go transparently? Well, this is why we, the opposition body, the entire opposition bloc, has to do all we can to make sure we mend the polls by having poll watchers that are not easily bought and making sure we do our part and also call on the region and call on the international community for support with regards to observation of observers. We have to make sure from the day those ballot papers are printed, we have to count them and check them, make sure on the day of the election when those ballot papers and those uh, ballot boxes reach the polling centers, they are washed and make sure our poll watchers are sitting there. And even if the incubant, because we already got so many different 
you know, it starts with rumors and then you verify the intelligence that they're looking to pay. They got $3 million set aside to pay opposition poll watchers to bribe them hmm. on the day of election. And so we are getting all of this intelligence and, and we are going to, to take them in consideration and, and counteract them. So as we get these intelligence, we, we, we verify them and we counteract, counteract them. So we, we are going to do everything we can. But I, I, I will say this much. Uh, Where should be very careful on how he tried to rig Liberia's election. He's a very unpopular candidate. He's a very unpopular can- uh, uh, president. His approval rating, according to the national opinion polls, is at 32 percent. 32 percent. And it keeps plummeting. It keeps going down. So we know we know what direction the country is going to. And he, if he tries to change it into a direction that a country doesn't want, trust me, it would not be good for him. All right. Uh, Lagos, we've had uh, Magdala uh, Cooper join us. She's a politician from Liberia. We'll take a break. When we come back from this break, we'll talk to her a bit more. We'll talk to her because, I mean, we're all West Africans, right? We're all seeing what's playing out in Niger. So if if there's a problem in one, it's going to affect the rest of the region. And that's why it's important to have these conversations that we're having. So we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll keep talking to Magdala. I'm Sandra Ezekwesili. You're listening to Hard Facts on 99.3 Nigeria Info. Don't go away. Welcome back to Hard Facts with Sandra Ezekwesli. I am Sandra Ezekwesili and this is Hard Facts on 99.3 Nigeria Info. I mentioned before the break that uh, Liberia has a growing coalition of opposition parties hoping to defeat the incumbent president um, at the polls in October. Our guest today is the leader of one of those parties, the Movement for One Liberia. Magdala Cooper is here talking to us, talking to me, talking to you. she's talking to the international community and the region because as she said herself uh before the break if there's a problem with liberia it affects the entire region and so the region has to pay attention now magdala what pushed you into joining politics in liberia that's a great question sandra i worked in corporate america for a number of years and i started a charity called the magdala cooper foundation in the early 2000s to channel support back to Liberia after the Civil War. And those efforts led me to building schools, supporting young people, women's groups, just trying to find a way to support citizens who are not being reached. Uh, we'll go to slum communities and, and, and um, in impoverished communities and homes uh, where families have zero income, and we'll try to help by providing basic resources for them. Now, we realized that these efforts were really benefiting those we were reaching. And we saw the need to expand these efforts across the country. Um, I started to think about what would happen if we had the right policies on the books and being in, in, in implemented, not just on the books, but implemented as well. And so those, you know, charity is always a short-term solution to long-term national problems. So with all of that, I started to get more interested in pushing the right policies and supporting the right policies of government. And, and so that sort of sparked my interest in going into politics because I really, uh, we saw the result of what we did. If you build a school, put the right resources in it, you know, adequate, adequately equipped school can give children a headway. And so I wanted to see that happen across Liberia. And so I figured politics would be the best place to make an impact across the country. 
for all citizens born to Liberia, not just the elite, the children of the elitists, um, but also the children, the families living in the villages and the towns and the rural areas, their children also need education and need access to to, uh, to services. And, and they were not getting those services. And I wanted to be in, in government to make sure that Liberia was working for all Liberians. And that is why I have a party called Liberia, a Movement for One Liberia, because we're one people. We should all be, we should benefit from from whatever our country has. That should be, you know, and, and so that's why I got into politics. You, you mentioned uh, before the break that um, Liberian politics is a boys club. In what ways is it a boys club? <laughs> Well, when you look at political party structure, you know, government, political parties is a reflection of what government is going to be once mm-hmm. that party becomes a ruling party. Mm-hmm. And most political parties are built uh, with an executive committee, right? There's an executive committee, which is the decision-making body of the party. That's right. Most political parties across Africa and Liberia especially, um, are, the, the executive committees are, are, are committee filled with men. It's all men and their friends. Yes. They have these things called the youth wing on one side for the young people. Yes. They have this thing called the women's wing on the other side for, 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 for the women. Yes. And when they're ready to run campaigns, they go and call the youth leader, they call the women leader. But those leaders are not on the executive committee. Yes. Right? And so those leaders don't have decision-making uh, 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 you know, positions in a, in a party. Yes. They're just there to execute. Go make noise on the street, call all the women and uh, give them lapas and bag of rice and whatever. And then when when campaigns won, they go to government and it, they create a cabinet filled with those men that were around the table in the political parties. Right. And those women in the, in the, in the wings remain in the wings, and those youth re- remain in the wing. Maybe the, the leaders might get something, but the rest of the people in the women's wing don't get anything. Right. And so when I saw this phenomenon, I, I thought this is complete, this is complete nonsense. Um, there, there are no rules of the game that says you've got to continue this type of constitution. And so when I created my political party, I, we sat at the table with the executives and said, for every position that, that is a position of decision, decision making, we will have a male co-chair with a female. Oh. And that's, that's what we did in, in my party. Hmm. So I'm a political leader. I'm a female and my co-chair or my, my vice president, whoever that was going to be, was going to be a man. We have a chair, which is a woman, but she co-chaired that position with a male counterpart. Hmm. We have the youth chair, chaired by a female youth and a male youth. Because we have got to get to, we, we, have, to, we have to understand that although I'm a black African woman, I would never understand what it means to be a black African man. And so I cannot speak for men. Mm-hmm. I cannot speak for the African men who are my own brothers. Mm-hmm. And so for black men in Africa to think they can speak on behalf of women and make decisions on, on behalf of women, it's, it's childish. Mm-hmm. And I think those days for, for that type of leadership should be over. And we have to respect women participation and representation. It is critical because when decisions are being made around the table and women are not present, Yes, the men will make decisions on things that's relevant to men and the struggle of men. And if you're a 50 or 60-year-old man, you cannot speak for the young people because the young people are looking for something different than what you're looking at yeah. or looking for. Yeah. And so a 60-year-old man should never think he's a youth to try to make decisions on behalf of the youth. And no matter how you know, much we can label ourselves, you have the disabled community. And we have got to start respecting the experience of the disabled community and, and other minorities living in our communities. 
And so my executive board is made up of women, young people, men, disabled, and other minorities across the country. And I think that should be the reflection of political parties. And so we're not there fighting for quota. Because when you don't do the right thing, then they start fighting for affirmative action, start pushing affirmative action bills, and start pushing for a quota system. But if, if you had all citizens of the country represented at the decision-making table mm-hmm. of political parties, mm-hmm. we would have a, we'll have a better uh, you know, parliament or better Congress and, and better um, um, executive, com- uh, executive branch. Mm, better outcomes in general. That's, that's quite an efficient way to get it done. You know, make sure that there's representation at the table where decisions are being made. I have a segment on my show. It's called The Glass Ceiling. And on The Glass Ceiling, mm. uh, we essentially focus on how to build a more equal society. And one of the biggest conversations we have is, oh, well, how do we include more women in politics? And you have people who come out and they will say things like, hey, women are not coming forward to be voted for when women come out to be voted for nobody votes for them even women don't vote for them and there was a woman that came out to be voted for and she got only one vote and then i ask questions like okay so women are not coming out to be voted for women can't just come out to be voted for if they signify interest that they want to be voted for you have an executive board that decides okay we think that you're good enough to get the party's ticket you have an executive board that has to do a lot of horse trading and that um, executive board is often entirely male the 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 the, right. the, 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 the spot for women a leader like you've just mentioned is often tokenistic and is non-executive and if you have right. if you have an executive board a decision-making table that is sat upon by just one part of uh, of the society um then then they're human beings they're, they're going to want right. to prioritize the people who look like them who think like them who have the same problems right. that they do so i think that right. the approach that your political party has chosen is quite the interesting one and and, and now i would like to ask what have been some of the major challenges some of the hurdles that you have faced in the political space as a woman how did you overcome oh, them oh look sandra the hurdles that women face once you decide to be bold and take a step in the right direction especially in terms of running for a position that gives you access to authority or decision making it's almost like you're asking for enemies I remember the first uh, first years of my, my political life, the attacks on social media, the attacks from society, the conversation that was being had about me. But one of the things that really, uh, I, I, I still focus, I'm a one-track-minded individual. When I'm focused on something, I focus on it. You know, when you go to the market to buy and you focus on the noise, you never buy a thing from that market. Mm. When you go to the market, you focus on what you're going to buy and irrespective of all the noise in the market, you go and buy your item and exit the market. And that's always been my 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 way of functioning. Mm-hmm. And so social media, people call me all sorts of names, questions journalists would ask a male or questions they wouldn't ask a male. They felt it was to ask me those disrespectful questions. And, you know, it, it, but it, it changed over time when people realized that I was going nowhere. I was in this game and I was going to stay here. And the good thing is I came into the game with my own resources and my finances. Mm. So I wasn't going to my male colleagues to beg them for money. <laughs> I brought my own money to the table, <laughs> which is, is also a very good thing. When mm-hmm. a woman comes to the table, self-empowered, equipped, ready to fight your battles, 
and just know that the battle was never mine to begin with. Mm-hmm. In a sense that I was here fighting for Liberia. As, as uh, you know, I grew up, I did my university in the United States. I had a job in the United States, a high paying job. I had a home in the United States. But my calling was to come home to Africa to help bring Africa into, the, into its promise, starting with my own country, starting with my own community and, and beyond. And so that was the purpose and the reason why I left the Western world and all of all what it had to offer me, the life of privilege, the life of success, the life of the good life. I left all of those, walked away from it to come back home to Liberia where I barely have electricity, I barely have running water, I barely have good roads. There's no road safety. When someone hits your car, you're on your own. You know, you have to feed people constantly on a daily basis, support communities, support people, pay students tuition. You know, I left the Western world to come home to make a sacrifice for my country because the Western world was developed by those who made a sacrifice to develop it for their offsprings and their future generations. And we, the young Africans that had the privilege to go abroad to study and gain wisdom and knowledge, and, and, and global understanding and, and how to build nations. We have to come back home to our countries to build it. And so my struggle was you know, a personal one. My struggle was about my people, my nation, my continent. I'm a proud black woman. And, and I understood those things. I understood my mandate. I knew who Magdala Cooper uh, is and, 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 and what she stood for and what she stand for. And so when the challenges and the attacks, the unnecessary attacks came against me during my first years and the years after. I could care less, Sandra. I focused on my work. I did what I came to do. And today I'm one of the most respected voices in my nation, and if not across the region. And so you got to stand strong and let people know that their little noise in the market is not going to impact or affect what you're here to do. And eventually the noise faded away. Hmm. So the challenge is... There are plenty. The violence against women in politics, the insults, the, 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 the traditional belief system that women should not be in position of authority or decision making. Women are good enough to run charities, but never, never to be a president. You know, all, these, all these, these, these things are said. But again, I left the Western world to come home to sacrifice to make a better Liberia, and that's what I would do until God calls me home. All right, Lagos, if you just tuned in, hi, good evening. I've got a politician from Liberia on the show today. We left Nigeria just a little bit, and uh, we're talking about the upcoming elections in October in Liberia. Uh, you have a growing coalition of opposition parties hoping to defeat the current president, George Weir, um, at the polls in October. Our guest is the leader of one of those parties, the Movement for One Liberia. Her name is Magda. Della Cooper. Lagos, join the conversation on 0700-993-993-993-01465-7190. On WhatsApp, I've got uh, a lot of messages. We've got this one here um, that says, uh, this is from Tare in Lekki. Tare says, uh, just listening to your guest, it's the same greed of political dealers happening in Liberia. It's exactly the same corrupting influence ravaging African countries today. And when coup happens now, Kaki boys should go back to barracks. As it is happening, uh, the corruption in Liberia, ECOWAS is not talking until army gets involved. Uh, then you now see them start shouting. Okay. You know, that it's interesting 
interesting that you mentioned um, the coup, uh, Tare. It's interesting you mentioned that because um, if we tie back to what Magdala said when we initially started talking, we're all West Africans. We're all members right. of, uh, of ECOWAS. We're watching the aftermath of a coup in Niger Republic. Um, ECOWAS has declared sanctions on Niger. Does your party, MOL, does your party support the ECOWAS decision? If your coalition wins the polls, uh, the polls in October, will a President Boakai continue to support the ECOWAS sanction regime? Well, I have to speak to Boakai about that. Um, I, you know, I, I try to make sure I don't speak for him. Um, um, I was labeled or named, appointed uh, by Boakai to be the head on finance and resource mobilization. And so I try to stay in that zone. But in terms of uh, ECOWAS, we ourselves just issue a major letter to ECOWAS, um, you know, explaining and listing our concerns as to what we see is going to happen in this election. Today, the government has a paramilitary group that's there trained purposefully to, to, um, for the elections, to disrupt the election and granted if their candidate lose. And so we wrote a letter to ECOWAS stating all of the things that we're concerned with. And I do hope ECOWAS wouldn't just pay attention to the aftermath of what has taken place in in Niger, but also pay attention to the the clarion call that we have made to them uh, from Liberia saying that we are concerned about this upcoming election and this election can throw the region off. Granted, the wrong thing is done in Liberia. And so I, I do hope, Sandra, that they will they will they will heed to our our you know call and our message from Liberia from the opposition bloc. Mm, Magdala Cooper, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for taking the time to speak with us on Nigeria Info as soon as you came into the country. Um, and we do hope, hope you have a great trip um, while you're here. Thank you so much, Sandra. It was wonderful to be here with you today. Yes. Lagos, we've got three minutes before we have to take a break. Let's talk about what you've heard this evening. 0700-993-993-993-01465-7190. While I was listening to her, I was like, oh my God, Africa really is a country. Why do we get so angry when people call Africa a country? 99.3, Hello. Hello, yeah. Is this, is this uh, Nigeria Info? This is Nigeria Info, yes. What's your name, sir? Yeah, my name is Philip. I'm calling all the way from Adamo, Ikorodu. Okay, welcome. Talk to me. Yes. Uh, hello, Fondra. Yes. I, I, let me start by thank you. This is my first time calling. I'm glad you're here. Uh, yeah, I'm very grateful. I'm very grateful. Mm-hmm. And uh, yes, uh, going by your guest, mm-hmm. um, Breakdown, I am touched. Uh, in fact, I, my worry right now is that Africa has a peculiar way of behaving when it comes to politics. Mm. I'm not seeing the game very different from what we have here mm. in the country, mm-hmm. and it's worrisome. I pray that the kind of leaders we'll be producing in Africa, let them be people-oriented and have a sense of direction. Because Africa is suffering, we are suffering. It is not a good thing going to war. The scenario in Sudan is not a homecoming news mm. because people are dying. Mm. So I think we have a vibrant society. Nigeria is well coordinated. We should be proud of our country. We should be proud of what we're doing and try to put the right people in the right place. All right. Thank you very much for calling. Speaking of right people in the right place, uh, 
screening still ongoing um, at the Senate at the moment, uh, screening of the president's ministerial nominees, that is. Um, while I was speaking with Magdala, I watched them screen Better Edu. Better Edu is one of the nominees. They're screening the, the fourth woman at the moment. I'm not sure who this is. I'm going to have to uh, wait until um, um, a name tag comes up on the screen so that I'll be able to be sure who is currently um, um, answering questions from Senate President God's Will Akbabio. But that's actually all the time we have on today's show. I'll be back tomorrow, though. Tomorrow, 3 p.m. here, bright and early, bringing you the Big Three, as always. There's so much going on. We couldn't get into all of it on the Big Three today because of the screening, but not to worry. Tomorrow, we'll get into it. Wednesday, we'll get into it as well. I'm Sandra Ezekwesli on social media. S. Ezekwesli everywhere. Those were your hard facts. Lagos, have yourselves a fantastic evening. Good night.